so many people been asking me about this Neuralink video presentation, Elon Musk uh, affiliated company out here with these experimentations and whatnot. I watched it. I got so many. I got tweets, emails. People were like, "Lou, we we need to see your take on that." Uh, kind of surprised I missed it actually. But this is this stuff is bonkers. It's 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 actual. It's that sci-fi thing that you look for as a technology fan. That you're like, oh, that's that's from those movies. Once upon a time, that's the thing everybody expected to happen that didn't. That's the the like, where are the flying cars? Instead, we got the face app. You see what I'm saying? That's what that is. But the whole thing seems a lot closer, based on the presentation I watched, than I would have imagined. And now that it has the Elon Musk affiliation, a guy who's gone after these aspirational, almost unbelievable science fiction-like goals, you have to believe they're going to be able to generate not just hype, but also interest from the necessary parties that could bring uh, a faster adoption of this tech. I should just tell you what this is. But I should also say that the presentation, I mean, you could go watch it. It's not that long. It's not like a crazy keynote. But the purpose of the presentation was potentially to motivate, pe to motivate people to come and work on the project. So this company, Neuralink, has pioneered this new technology for brain electronic interface. For, for the time being, kind of just as a proof of concept from a hardware perspective, that, that you could send these tiny little threads into the brain material without disrupting uh, brain functioning. Actually, that's a really important part of the keynote that th this uh, brain implant that they're talking about, that they've actually prototyped, they installed it in a rat. Actually, in fact, if you go to the story on CNET, well, it's actually a picture. It's either implanted in a rat or a mouse, at least a, like a 1.0 version of the device. These threads that go into the brain material have to be so thin, like a fraction of a human hair, to not disrupt such a sensitive <laughs> such a sensitive component of your body the brain and so in, so in order to install them this they have to engineer as well along with the implant the necessary robotic kind of uh, device to do the installation because a human wouldn't be capable with with the, the body breathing and moving and this is sort of like very slim margin that, that has to be worked within in order to install something like this. So you follow through the keynote and you get a sense for, like, like we all sort of knew that the future was this brain implant, this interface. But as far as, as, far as right now or immediate application, you're like, well, what would I even want with this? How would this improve my day-to-day uh, activities or what why would i be compelled to have this thing installed besides just wanting to be a cyborg or futuristic well in the immediate sense they focused a little bit on on people who may have disabilities uh people who may have uh issues with speech for example motor movements that if they could tap in to certain areas of the brain that they, they could turn thought into a reliable signal, which then could be distributed via uh, alternative means. So you could imagine thinking you want to say something and having that synthesized. If, of course, we've seen that in various ways, but imagine thinking of a movement and sending that to a, to a, another device. Thinking of, imagine thinking of a movement and then having that illustrated in a video game, for example. Like, I'm going to move my arm and then the character in the game moves their arm as a consequence of your thought, not as a consequence of your movement. Your brain's a controller. Your brain could become a controller. So that's another sort of immediate way they imagine they'll be able to interpret these signals that, that, that the implant is capable of receiving. That once they can decode, like let's say, for example, when I think of moving my right arm, 
here is how that looks as far as a as far as a the, the translation of that uh, in what the implant is able to pick up and then visually represent once the software within the app is capable of knowing what that thought looks like it's got it at that point then it knows okay that thought looks precisely like this and so now we know that that creates this one particular input which is the arm movement for example now a little bit more on the hardware itself it's going to be wireless the current working version of it is not wireless it actually has a usb-c port on it it's implanted into a mouse with a usb-c port sticking out and i don't think customers are ready for that they don't want to be tethered so instead there'll be like a transmitter that's implanted on the other side of your skull with these threads going to these various locations of the brain and then there'll be an external component which connects which uh sort of slaps on top of the internal implant and then that's going to have a battery bluetooth and the rest of it which is which is going to communicate with a smartphone app so you can control the whole thing you see where i'm going with this will so there will still be a physical device on the outside of your body that you'll have to charge up and whatnot to get the benefits of this particular implant now it doesn't end there right uh, of course elon musk has this obsession with artificial intelligence he's referenced it many occasions he's gone back and forth on on whether or not it's going to be ai is going to be the end of mankind or a positive uh, a, poten a pot potentially positive thing we could interface with he thinks and part of the reason he got attached to this particular company is he thinks this type of interface is going to be necessary in order to ensure that human beings can travel alongside ai instead of being uh, rendered obsolete as rapidly as AI is potentially capable of making us. That if we are, are able to interact with AI or just a, a greater pool of data, the internet and so forth, if we're able to interact with that through thought, if you're able to type 40 words per minute just by thinking it, if you're able to upgrade the brain, let's say, then upgrade the human, essentially, you could create an environment in which the human becomes more formidable, in which the human can compete better with its AI against its AI counterparts in the future. Now, of course, Will, you know, in the comment section, the story goes, well, then the implant starts to tell you, starts to make you think, of you're like, you know, I hate this. And then the, then the implant starts to work for itself mm. and for its own well-being. Now, of course, they're going to have to bake some stuff into this. They're going to have to be thinking about these bigger picture questions. I'm sure in this initial phase, the implant has no potential for agency over the host. But you could imagine an environment in which those signals start to get sent back the other direction and the brain becomes the receiver. Mm. And then now you have your whole sci-fi apocalyptic scenario in place that you're looking for in order to complete your wonderful film that you're working on. So we're dead. Well, I mean, we're dead either way. Eventually, maybe. I think he's trying to elongate the prolong, uh, it. You pro prolong the the human effectiveness, human uh, um, involvement, human involvement, essentially. So, uh, but but you can imagine, Will, if this thing is capable, and and by the way, they're suggesting that people have multiple implants. Because there's so many, you know, there's different parts of the brain responsible for different things. But could you imagine an environment in which my brain is talking to, is the, the, the information that my brain is creating through thought is then being received via my implant, then retransmitted to you in real time quickly, and you're doing the same thing back to me. Are we talking anymore? What's going on here? You see, like, how quickly could you and I communicate ideas without the need to transfer them necessarily into dialogue? At the same time, you're reading like a hundred. Yeah, stories, maybe I'm exactly. Maybe I'm articles. learning kung fu. Maybe I'm learning kung fu. Yeah. As they said in the presentation, maybe it's kung fu, and I'm talking to you, and God knows what else I'm doing. Now, apparently, the 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 major st structural component to overcome is the fact that your brain has plenty of very important blood vessels, Will. 
You can't, you need those. And so this robot goes in, it avoids the blood vessels, it gives you the implant, and all of a sudden it's uh it's the you're in the matrix. Now, you know, I, I get where people are coming from as far as the fear is concerned, because it's a, you're talking about a major overhaul. You're talking about a, a, a significant component of your body, uh, a sophisticated uh, component, and also one that you know people don't like to mess with. Like, what do you mean? That's my thoughts. That's my brain. How how much and what will you have access to? People already have privacy concerns with what they put in their emails. Never mind every thought they ever have. Mm. Right? You got to have your you have your concerns about where that data is stored, whether or not it's being utilized for other, for other functions to train the, the AI potentially on how to better work with you. You don't know how that all, how that all uh, maps out. So I think concerns are a necessary part of advancement. I think if you don't have concerns, it's probably not a major advancement. That's kind of how these things go. Mm -hmm. Those concerns are representative of something being innovative. If it if it was the status quo, well then what what do you have to be afraid of? Yeah. It's always a double-edged sword. It's every time it comes it comes, it comes with both pieces. Yeah. And it has to if it's going to be disruptive. The potential is massive. You were talking about a real-time interface between humans and AI, humans and computers, humans and their and their own thoughts. It could it could potentially help people understand their thoughts better. And interface differently with their own thoughts, seeing them mapped out in that in that fashion, uh, potentially help people with psychological uh, issues, disorders, uh, things like Parkinson's. That's not a psychological issue, but they're already using deep brain stimulation in 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 some cases to treat Parkinson's. And so, getting this level of access to to brain functionality, also from a learning potential, represents uh, kind of a a, a big a yeah. big uh, milestone. Mapping out the human brain. A big milestone. Now, I'm not going to be the first one to sign up for this type of situation. No. No, because, it, it, you know, it makes me nervous. They're going in there with these little threads. The robot is doing it, uh, cr creating this interface. I don't even know if Musk himself is going to be patient one, patient zero, whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, but what I will say is that it won't, it wouldn't take much, Will, for people to start jumping in quick. Hmm. If all of a sudden you got people walking around with supercomputing capabilities hmm. implanted with this massive computing power advantage over those lacking the implant, yeah. how long are you going to be standing on the sideline? Much like how we talk about this technology, these smartphones mm -hmm. and the other stuff that shows up. You don't want to be left out. You want to be on the cutting edge. Imagine I'm using a computer right now from 10 years ago. You're like, what is this man up to? What is this guy doing? And it's our own, it's within our own nature, the idea of competition. And once you start having to uh, witness in real life people with a huge advantage over you from a competitive standpoint, you're going to have no choice but to, but to come in, get your imp implant, and compete. Mm -hmm. These dudes, if these people are running the types of functions that you need to run in order to be effective in your world, if they're doing it faster, better, if they have different reference points because everything can be, they can, you know, you can enable this, this, this AI interface to help you out with decision making. Like you could imagine, well, what if, what if it could be running a constant analysis if, oh, turn left. You're, the likelihood of success if you turn left at this fork is 94%. If you turn right, if you approach this particular person, mm -hmm. if, you, uh, uh, if you select this individual for a relationship instead of that one, 94% uh, of uh, males your age with your hair color have determined that this particular thing you're about to do is negative or positive. Or here are the potential. Like, you don't, you just don't know, Will. Once you open up that interface, you open up the whole extension of the conversation. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's an inevitable thing. I think it's a, we've, we've, we, we as humans have thought about it for a long time and we kind of already do it. Yes, we don't have the physical uh, implementation 
of it. We have it in the form of a smartphone right now, but the way that people treat and interact with their smartphone is the precursor to this. And people, trust me, they're tethered to this thing. I don't have to tell you. You're in the world. You've noticed it. People treat this, they treat their smartphone like some sort of a appendage, like some sort of a body part. The way people hold on to it, the way people are near it, never without it. The way people have those phantom touches in the pocket. You know what I'm talking about. They wonder where it is, can't leave the house without it. How many things, Will, in your life, besides your, your underwear, are you leaving the house with every single time, never forgetting it? You got like a couple of items, and that's one of them. Mm -hmm. So it's very close already, and it's getting even closer. And Elon Musk is behind it. It feels real. Seems like it's happening. Quick note, if you go watch the presentation, there's a dude in it who's the surgeon, the doctor. You can maybe find it if you scrub through. I think it's earlier. And uh, even though it's a business presentation, this is one of the top comments on the video. Even though it's a business presentation, he's still in the outfit, you see. That's how you know it will. That's, that's one of the top comments. It's like, in case you were wondering, he's a doctor. Yeah. Because he doesn't even have a tie for a business presentation. He's got to perform surgery he, right after. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, they only got, he's on call. He's got the pager still. And they're like, just come in the scrubs. But those are some clean-looking scrubs, mm -hmm. by the way. That's his business presentation. <laughs> but he's ready to operate on a moment's notice. Even though he's mic'd up. He'll take the mic with him. Anyway, I just thought that was funny, that top comment. Uh, speaking of concerns about the future, uh -oh. concerns in general, concerns about human, the way human beings are operating in, a, in 2019, all of your friends are posting aging selfies with FaceApp, a Russian app that's raising privacy concerns. You see that? What a perfect, we were talking about this before the show started rolling, what a perfect kind of virus. And, of course, I don't mean virus in the sense of, like, a computer virus. I mean a human. I mean a culture virus. You see, a meme. That's what that word, that's why that word exists. Right, guys? Explain that to me. Meme? Yeah. Mm. Define meme. Uh, hey, look. This is what I look like when I'm old. Hee-hee. Hee-hee. You see? Hee-hee-hee-hee. <laughs> and then, this is what I look like when I'm old. Hee-hee-hee. <laughs> What about you? What do you look like when you're old? Boom. Map the globe. Instantaneously. Viral component. I mean, if you hit somebody with this app in a social setting, all of a sudden, everybody's face is mapped instantly. Everybody's jumping on the app. What do I look like when I'm old? Do I look old too? Yeah, you look old. <laughs> when, when you look old, you look old too. Just like they look old. Everybody's old, you see that? It's wrinkles and it's humans, man. Like, I don't know. What can I say? But the celebrities jumped on and it was over. Influencer marketing. Once the celebrities started posting the face app, because it's important to note that thing's been out since 2017. Once the celebrities started posting Kablamo, rocket fuel, straight to the moon, because then everybody had to do it. It wasn't even an option anymore. You look at the Jonas Brothers here in old format, and you don't even, all of your uh, human agency out the window. Mm -hmm. You, you would have needed a neural implant to avoid doing it because you were already downloading the app and getting your own stuff out there, Will. You didn't even have a choice. You see these guys? Yeah. You and I'm no sure choice. someone did an old face app or an old face for you. You know, and for, you oh, no for me, they did. Yeah, I don't have a choice in the matter. They put my pictures of me in there. And, and now it's in a Russian And they sent database. it to Russia. They sent my pictures to Russia. <laughs> now, of course, Will, what's important to know, it's not the faces themselves. Well, I mean, that's a piece of it. But it's also the permissions that the app, you know, everybody, you install an app, you don't look at the permissions, right? It, it was actually the permissions that existed that, it, that they were, were, you were granting access to that app to get into your entire photos, your photo gallery, so you're giving up that access. You're giving up uh, location data. You were giving up, uh, what else was there? There was uh, browsing history for whatever reason. Like a lot of apps, you were opening up access to your device. Now the reason that this one is getting so much attention is just because of how viral it became 
and the kind of shady permissions and shady uh, wording within the document you sign in the terms of service when you use this app. And on top of that, the location, it being in Russia and people just being spooked in general about things coming from, from Russia. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't be, but that's just how, that's why the concern has come up at this point. So the app collects access to your photos, location information, usage data, browsing history. And when people dug a little bit deeper into the uh, specifics around the terms of service, uh, within the user content section, here's, here's, a pretty, uh, here's a pretty grim, here's a pretty grim component, pretty grim piece within the agreement. You grant FaceApp a perpetual, irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free, worldwide, fully paid, transferable, sub-licensable, license to use, reproduce, modify, adapt, publish, translate, create derivative works from, distribute, publicly perform, and display your user content and any name, username, or likeness provided in connection with your user content in all media formats and channels now known or later developed without compensation to you. Uh... Lawyer, lawyer stuff, obviously, but most people are going to be able to understand what that means. That just basically means anything you provide to FaceApp, anything, any data they retrieve from those permissions which you granted them, they then have the ability to use for any purpose they see fit. So they could, that you could well do. You could download the app, put your face on there, you see, and they could attach your name to it, and all of a sudden you could be the face of FaceApp a marketing campaign, or on the flip side, you could be sold to some database somewhere where they try to attach your likeness, your 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 name to some to some study or to some uh, manipulation tactic to get you to buy something. You just you don't even really know, mm-hmm. right? And they're using pretty advanced facial recognition algorithms, so they've got like a pretty good map of your face yeah. as well. So this is the type of thing where. When you boot up, say, an iPhone, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on a face ID. No big deal. Isn't it cool? I'm moving my head around. Well, in that case, it's it's like, okay, the benefit is big. It's going to let you unlock your phone in a secure manner. The company you're entrusting with that data is a big company. It's Apple, okay? Whether you should or shouldn't trust them, they make a big uh, case for privacy. I assume they should be trusted as much as any other company of that scale, but you assume that there are certain uh, procedural things in place to protect your day. So you get a big payoff and and you get a company with the credentials like Apple that's that becomes responsible for your data after the moment at which you sign your face up. This is the complete opposite of that. The payoff is almost nothing. I'm old for five seconds, just straight novelty, viral, crazy viral, but it's just novelty. And the company you're entrusting with the data, you don't even know. It's registered somewhere in Russia. You go to the website. There's not a lot of information about the company. You're just not really sure where this facial recognition data is actually going. So what can I say? I got to break it down for you. This is another one that people asked me to ask for a take on. And also the news story was just, it was moving around because people were like, don't do it anymore. Surprisingly, certain other apps have had similar user content restrictions and structure within the document terms of service even big ones that have said stuff like this in the past i think uh facebook has had some was, was under some scrutiny for some of the stuff in their terms of service which they then went on to change instagram as well you'd be amazed if you read through this stuff if you really go looking for it what kind of permissions you're actually granting through the contract you're signing but also through like actual permissions on your device where you're letting that app look so this is not all that surprising to me. The part where I say, you know, this is a little wacky is the, co- the, the, the cost to reward ratio. What you're giving up and what you're getting. Potentially nothing happens here and, and everything is cool and your data is secure and, and it, doesn't get, it doesn't get used in a way that you're not happy with and so on and so forth. That's the most likely outcome still right now. But what payoff did you get, Will? You get a five seconds of old man Will? Even if it's a 1% chance that it somehow is detrimental to you, I don't think the payoff's big enough, but you can't really ba- blame people. Once the meme starts to go, once the, the ball starts rolling, yeah. 
Yeah. It only picks up steam, and it's so easy to do and pop on, and for everyone to see it and go, I want to participate. And and for me, the interesting part of the story, the fact that this has been out since 2017, two years, but it took the cultural virus to take hold for it really to spread. And once it did, it did. And so you start to think about how quickly these types of ideas these viral concepts can spread and create tremendous amounts of data that didn't exist previously, like the maps of millions and millions of human faces. Like, you could tell people, look, we're trying to build a database of human, human faces for the good of mankind to, 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 uh, to cure all the world's diseases. All you have, it's only going to take 20 minutes, 15 minutes of your time. And people wouldn't do it. But if they think it's going to be fun to post on their social media, it can fly like wildfire, like a forest fire. It could just instantaneously. That's how quickly the idea can spread. I mean, this is not news. You know this. But in this particular case, because of the type of data people were submitting, it showcases the potential to generate tremendous amounts of data to get people to behave a way you might want them to behave and not ask questions and just partake instantaneously for the slightest little nudge on social media, for the littlest click or cool or couple of extra likes or whatever, whatever the consequence might be. Tiny little social reward, you can get people to do things, including send an accurate map of their face to Russia. I think it's very interesting from that standpoint. I'm not trying to scare anyone, though. I still don't think anything's going to happen. It should be all right. I'm not saying that. But it's just, you know, you take a second. Take a step. Take a second. Take a deep breath. Maybe you might re maybe you reconsider the type of apps you install on your phone. Maybe you take a second, mm -hmm. you know. Speaking of phones, speaking of Apple, speaking of iPhones, speaking of security... Uh, iPhone loyalty rates down to an eight-year low, survey claims. This is coming via Apple Insider, an Apple-specific website that typically posts, well, I'm not going to say positive Apple news, but just Apple news for an Apple audience. So there, there's kind of there, sometimes a skew. Well, you know what? I don't even feel like I, I don't even really have to say that. It's just for an Apple audience. So this, you, you can imagine this wouldn't be, a well-received story because of that, but it's published here anyway. So I think that's significant that that's where we're reading about it. A lot of people get on my case, like, why are you always talking about negative Apple stuff? Look, Apple Insider is saying something negative about Apple here. But then again, it is just reporting on one particular survey. Uh, the loyalty of iPhone owners in the upgrade cycle outside of Apple's iPhone upgrade program has reportedly fallen to its lowest levels since 2011, benefiting Samsung, new survey data suggests. So... Of the 38,000 people who've traded in iPhone since October 2018, 73% have migrated to a later model. Uh, Apple's peak loyalty was 92% achieved in 2017. So uh, here's quickly how to think about that. In 2017, 92% of people who upgraded, upgraded to another iPhone. In 2019, only 73% of people on an iPhone upgrade to an iPhone. So somewhere within there, you have about 20% of users who went to use a different device. You might say, well, 73% seems pretty good, but you need to imagine the degree of loyalty that Apple has become accustomed to in the neighborhood of 92%. It's incredible. It's almost a one-to-one -one ratio, and it's hard. It's hard to switch platforms. It means giving up some of your applications that you're used to and comfortable with, including things like uh, chat, what, Apple Messages. Wait, was that iMessage. Jeez, man. Holy moly. My brain implant. Too many words. My brain implant. No, I don't use it. I don't use iMessage, so that explains it. But I hear, obviously, from people, from dedicated Apple users, that it's things like iMessage that keep them connected. So switching to another platform, kind of a big move, not something you're going to do frequently. So if you have a 20% difference from 2017 to 2019, that's pretty significant. That person has to overcome a fairly significant amount of friction to switch platforms. Conversely, only 7.7% .7 of Samsung Galaxy S9 owners picked up an iPhone, and 18% of the iPhone owners who left the platform chose a Samsung device. So more people moved in the Samsung direction 
as suggested via this survey. Now, 38,000 people is a big survey. That's a huge sample size, so that's worth noting. Now, that's just one survey. It's just one set of users on one, on, on one particular trade insight, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. Now, you could start to think about some of the reasons this might be the case. It's likely some of the stuff that I've been talking about for a while now in relationship to the premium smartphone market as a whole, but also in relationship to Apple specifically. Uh, they've got very expensive devices in a marketplace that has recently... Uh, has, has recently delivered more selection, more value than ever before. And also a global, uh, uh, increasingly global marketplace where, uh, uh, where regions have different offers, different brands to choose from and, and are, re are getting far more attention in those regions directly suited for them that wasn't happening previously. So, the, uh, the, the, look, here's the thing. Is it the notch? Is it the uh, screen to body ratio? I don't think so. I don't think it's actually the physical design of the device. I put a lot more emphasis on price. And Android getting, getting better, to be quite honest. I, I think once upon a time, the idea of transitioning from an iPhone to something from Android for most iPhone users would be an impossibility. I think people started to open that conversation. I think even channels like mine, my own exposure to what's happening in Android, how much better things have gotten. The, uh, the fact that the app store, app selection has caught up so much on the Android side. And then, like I said previously, selection in general and value. So I don't think it's the notch. I don't think the next iPhone's going to save it, to be honest, either. I don't think uh, may maybe two generations down the road, if they make a pretty strong change to the... To the uh, design of it is possible but i think this is more of a value thing and i think if apple wants to keep more users in house then they're going to have to really change how they're looking at their value offering and the 10r didn't do enough to provide that that value that value device to keep people in the ecosystem because it's important to note that once you're out of the ecosystem you're not interfacing anymore with so many of those services and so many of those revenue potentials if you stay on the platform Apple can monetize you in different ways. So they need to start thinking about subsidizing those services by potentially offering up devices with a lower profit margin because they have, of course, this astronomical profit margin that they're aiming to support. And meanwhile, on the flip side, on the Android side, particularly in markets like India, you have, uh, you have speculation that some of, these, some of these smartphone companies might actually be selling devices at a loss. There's speculation about that. That's how aggressive they're being. Meanwhile, Apple protecting these massive margins, they might not be able to do so forever because parity is, is, is happening within the smartphone marketplace increasingly. Uh, speaking of that parity, we have uh, some new details relating to the Pixel 4 and Pixel 4 XL. Now, you know, this device is leaked. Like, it's not even a question if it's leaks or rumors at this point. It is leaked directly via Google. We put out our video indicating what the next version was going to be like. We had a, a model version of it on Unbox Therapy. And then shortly after that, uh, Google themselves on social media put out their own images validating our original leaks and saying, yeah, I might as well get it out there in the world. I thought it was a cool move, actually. Very uh, culturally savvy in the tech culture. And uh, it's kind of embracing it instead of being upset about it or ignoring it. But uh, we, so we had a good idea visually of what this thing was going to look like. It's going to have this uh, square cutout on, the, cutout on the back, adding another camera module, at least one. And kind of looking similar to what the iPhone implementation is going to look like, to be honest. But this leak in particular, uh, this for me at least, is via Boy Genius Report, uh, actually goes into detail relating to the specs, which they are claiming are, I mean, they don't use the word guaranteed but they say we can confirm so it appears we have a confirmation of specs to go along with the confirmation of visual appearance and so this is how that breaks down the pixel 4's display resolution is going to be according to boy genius report 2280 by 1080 while the pixel 3 will have a where the oh well the, the pixel 3 had a resolution of 2160 by 1080 so a slight increase in pixel number but only in one direction. 
of course, only in one dimension, so it's a bit taller by the looks of it. Meanwhile, the larger Pixel 4 XL has a resolution of 3040 by 1440. Uh, that's coming up from 2960 by 1440. So again, just a slight increase in the number of pixels in the uh, in the tall department in the in the in the one measurement. On top of that, we can confirm that the Pixel 4 and Pixel 4 XL will both come with six gigabytes of RAM, which is an up upgrade compared to the four gigabytes on the current Pixel 3 3 XL. This is a, I think this is a significant piece of news because. Google has been, for whatever reason, this company that wants to sell you a, a flagship smartphone with a flagship sticker price, and then also claim that you don't need that much RAM on your phone, which I guess for some people that might be true, but it just seems like a spec that people are going to be looking for at these types of price points. And there, of course, is this argument that depending on the way you use your smartphone, you could actually... You could actually benefit from potentially more RAM than four gigabytes. Some users, so those previous versions when they launched with their price tag and four gigs, they were, uh, you know, people were critical of that. So anyhow, an upgrade in that department I think will be welcome. So six gigs apparently in the Pixel Four and Pixel Four XL. On uh, the other spec, of course, in the storage department, 128 gigabytes is said to be available on either version, though it's still unclear what other capacities will be available. There might be an entry price point pixel with a lower storage capacity. That's possible. So anyway, we have some specs to go with the images now. Increase, slight increases in the number of pixels on the, on the pixel, uh, but only in one, in one dimension. More RAM, which is welcome, and 128 gigs of storage. And of course, all the stuff that I talked about in the original video, if you want to figure out more about that particular device, the camera implementation, the lack of a fingerprint scanner, all face unlock, you can go watch the video that I published about the Pixel 4 on Unbox Therapy to figure out a little bit more. But uh, you know what? I'm excited mostly on the software side because I've seen some of the magic that previous Pixels have been able to pull off with the single lens. Let's see what this one can do now with that latest software to go with this new hardware implementation. That's the piece I'm most excited for. Netflix has uh, begun to lose subscribers in the U.S. for the first time in eight years. The last time they lost subscribers in the U.S. was when they were transitioning from the DVD service to the actual on-demand service, like the digital service. And people were a little skeptical about the idea of splitting those two services up. They wanted it all in one. That's the last time they lost subscribers. This is very significant. So they uh, they missed their targets in both, of course, the domestic market, but also the international market where they were supposed to be adding a boatload. Willie do it can't a boatload of users in the international market was the expectation. It didn't happen to the degree uh, to which they had originally imagined. The company on Wednesday reported a loss of 126,000 domestic paid subscribers, domestic being the U.S., compared with analysts' expectation of a 352,000 user gain. That's what they were expecting to take place. Instead, they got a drop of 126,000 users. They also missed their own forecast for a global subscriber growth of 2.3 million users. Of course, Netflix going into territories, going into places like India, big populations, Big potential for new customer growth, and they missed that number as well. Now, what's the reason Willie do? You want to speculate, sir? Competition? Well, competition's always there. That's always there. So I agree with you on that. But Netflix themselves, they say it's their content. Uh. They say they're not happy with their content slate, and they're going to improve it. They uh, apparently haven't been seeing as much success with their originals as they have in the past or what they expected to see uh, with the exception of Stranger Things. Stranger Things is the big hit, big hit for them, giving them a little boost. But some of their other stuff, less so. At least this is coming from them directly. I agree with you, though. I think competition is big. There are so many competing content streams out there, ways to spend your time, you and I, YouTube natives, how many hours pass that you could just binge on YouTube and not even think about Netflix? Boatloads. Boatloads, baby! And I would say when Netflix launched eight years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. Yeah. When, when Netflix launched and through the last few years, it was hard to spend hours and hours on YouTube because 
the content wasn't really there. And I think it's improved quite a bit. And I think we're seeing that now potentially reflected in these numbers right here. Also, important to note, they increase their prices, which is always that moment at which a customer considers whether or not they're getting value out of the content that they're paying for. And when they increase the prices, I think a lot of people second-guessed that subscription and thought now would be a good time to cut it off. So they're also blaming the price increase to a certain to a certain uh, degree. Now, if you look at the, the graph there on growth, the forecast versus annual versus actual, sorry, and that's uh, for, for various quarters over 2018 and 2019, the actual graph is it's actually kind of scary to look at here. I don't know if you got it. It's on CNBC, actually, if you want to see the graph that I'm looking at, Will. Uh, so in quarter one of 2019, for example, the forecast was north of 8 million new paid additional users. And they beat that forecast, getting close to 10 million new users in quarter one. We're now sitting in quarter two, and they had forecast a dip, as you would, different quarters, different customer behavior they, they forecasted a dip but the but the actual number is even substantially below the forecasted dip uh so the global users not not to not adding netflix to their inventory of monthly subscriptions as netflix imagined they reported international net additions of 2.8 million subscribers their estimates analyst estimates were as high as 4.8 million so netflix coming on hard times here is there a Netflix in the future? Is Netflix a big player, Will? All the billions and billions of dollars that they've received from customers over the years to build up this inventory of originals. Is Netflix here in 10 years? I don't think so. I think they actually might... Uh, get acquired? Get yeah, get bought out. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, I don't know if they're here or not. I'm not willing to answer the question as bluntly as you just were. I mean, I guess that's why you sit in a big chair, Willie yeah. Do. But I think it's. I think Netflix will continue to diminish in importance in my personal life, mm. and in my experience, having having done this job for a long time, I I think many times where I'm experiencing something as a user, I'm not the only one. It maps accordingly to a number of other users. They put the price up. I think my bill now is like 17 bucks or something. Mm. I think I have the multiple user account with all the features and stuff. It's getting close to like. It's getting into that territory where you start to look at the bill and wonder if you're getting that value. Now, I'll I'll keep it for the foreseeable future, but it's uh, you can imagine if tomorrow, Will, mm. if tomorrow Netflix disappeared, how upset are you? Not really. No, you can live, man. Yeah, I, I can miss Stranger Things. Yeah, I'm you can okay miss it. That. You can miss it. And and to be quite to be honest, me too. I I, yeah. I could live without Netflix quite easily, in fact. And that's never a good thing for your company. If uh, if people feel casually they can move on without it. Now, granted, that's me and Will. Other people, they got different shows. Don't get me wrong. I watch time to time. But I'm just saying, price goes up, value goes down. You start to, you start to think about it. Here's a cool story, Will. Uh, Southwest Airlines passengers receive free Nintendo Switch consoles. I think it's a cool marketing move, in my opinion. I think these types of marketing stunts you're going to see them happen more frequently now. And, I mean, you could spend this same kind of money you put out a commercial, which they do still. It's worth noting. But in this case, it's just, uh, you know, you'll get the more organic kind of approach here. You're going to get the same coverage or some coverage at least and get a bunch of happy people. So there was this flight. It was bound for San Diego, I believe from Dallas. And just before the flight takes off, they announced everybody on this flight is going to get a Nintendo Switch. And everybody rejoiced. Huge party. Celebration. Now, of course, part of a collaboration. They want the posts. Yeah, they're getting something out of it. It's not just being nice. But, hey, those people got those Switches. And their flight is going to be a little bit nicer with a Nintendo Switch, as far as I can tell. Mm. Now, it's important to note, this particular flight was going to San Diego. San Diego, that's where Comic-Con's happening. That's like big big spot for Nintendo. Nintendo's actually yeah. going to have a presence there. So they're trying to set things up in advance. They're being strategic, as you would. But nonetheless, a bunch of people get Nintendo Switches on a Southwest flight. I don't know if this is going to be the only circumstance in which this happens. Apparently, there is a partnership be between Southwest and Nintendo. I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. People are going to go start booking 
their travel with Southwest, maybe they think, especially if you're destined for San Diego, mm. you'd be like, you got two options. It's Southwest. I don't know. Those people got a Nintendo Switch. I don't think about it. Especially if the uh, airfare is cheap. Like, from, I bet you the airfare from Dallas to San Diego on Southwest, the airfare is probably less than the cost of a Switch. Mm. Those people probably essentially just flew for free. That's kind of a cool idea. It's a nice little package. If you think about it. Yeah. Interesting marketing campaign. Now, as I mentioned, Nintendo is going to have a presence at Comic-Con International in San Diego, which I guess just kicked off. It goes from July 18th today. Mm -hmm. July 18th to 21. Uh, with a, They're going to have a few playable titles, including The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. You know I played the other one. I, I, I put I, Actually, I don't yeah. play that many games. I put some time into the, the Breath of the Wild and... I mean, it was a vibe, that game. Yeah. Uh, it was maybe even a wave, that game, as the youngsters say. Mm. So, I mean, the sound effects, just the whole... I recommend that game. Anyway, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, Luigi's Mansion 3, and aforementioned Super Mario Maker 2. So, uh, well done, Nintendo. Cool little stunt. Now you just got to get on some Toronto flights, and we'll be all set. You understand? Uh... Emojis. Will, do you use them? You use emojis or what? I do. Kind of times. Do you work? Do you use emojis in a work situation? <laughs> uh, not really. Hey man, no. don't lie. Yeah, if you uh, do it, you do it. Kirk, does he do it? He uses emojis in a work situation. <laughs> Kirk just verified. Uh, I didn't even know this. It was a World Emoji Day, I guess, yesterday. And in okay. celebration, Adobe, they released a 2019 emoji trend report, giving insight into the most popular emoji characters that people are using. I'm reading this via Mac Rumors. And can you guess, Will? Well, now you know because you found a page. The most popular emoji, the laughing face with the tears. Mm. So the heavy laughing. The heart is number two. And the kissing with the heart, the little smooch with the heart is number yeah. three. Yeah. But you can you can believe that. You can agree with that. No, no. Poop isn't even close. Not even close. You got to think, Kirk. People are using these in all kinds of circumstances, like all kinds of conversations. Now, as far as pairings, they also, within their survey, uh, they discuss pairings. And the top pairing is the heart eyes mm. and the smooch. So, oh, man, a lot of love out there. The second common pairing is the laughing with the tears, then the <laughs> tilted head laughing with the tears, and then third place, the heart, then the smooch. So among, what is it, emoji users, 62% said they use emoji to make conversations fun, while 42% said they better communicate their thoughts and feelings through emojis. Mm. Women were most likely to use the laughing cry face heart and the smooch. Men, on the other hand, favored the crying laughing face, a big smile, and the sad face with the single tear because uh. all those moody Batman-type dudes out there. I don't think I've ever used the crying face with the single tear. I mean... What am I doing at that point? I'm telling you I'm sad. What am I doing? Am I moping around? I'm not sending that one out there. Just so you guys know, don't expect it anytime soon. They also did this cool thing, emojis associated with emotion. Of course, the love ones are pretty obvious. Anger, surprise, all the way down the list. Love being number one, happiness two, sadness and anger falling in after that. Surprise, excitement, and so on. 81% uh, of emoji users believe that people who use emojis are friendlier and more approachable. 65% of emoji users said they were more comfortable expressing emotions via emoji than a phone call. You see that, guys? In the future, you don't even have your emote skills anymore. They're dead. They're gone because you're going to feel more comfortable not talking and sending cartoons to people about how you think you feel, though you're not even really sure because you're too busy typing out these cartoons all the time. So even you're confused. You're like, what if I put... That's why, you know what I like to do, Will? Well, you know my favorite emoji already. It's not even close to this list, yeah. which is the skull, by the way. But I like vague emojis that are open for interpretation where the person has to be like, I don't really know what he means. You know what I mean? I do it in my personal life all the time. Oh, you want to get an emoji talk? How about I send you an emoji that makes no sense? How about I send you a dude who's swimming for no? How about I send you, you see what I'm doing there, Will? Yeah, it's a riddle. Yeah, it's like, so then you really want to know, guess what? We got to talk. Mm. 
We got to talk. We got to kick it old school using words, Will. Mm-hmm. You see that? Kirk, Kirk hates the skull. He doesn't know what to do with it when I send it to him. I'll, I'll drop the skull in the slack all the time. Skull can be good. Skull can be bad. Skull can be dead. It's unbelievable. Versatile emoji. All right. Now, when it comes to the workplace, 61% of people says they use emojis in a work context. So that would mean one of us would have to not. But I feel like everyone here has been guilty at a certain moment. Oh, I know Ryan does. I mean, that dude that dude is heavy <laughs> on the emoji. Let me ask something, Will. Can you overdo the emoji? Uh, no, I don't, I don't mind them. Yeah, uh, you're lying mind. right now. I definitely think you can overdo the emoji. Well, I mean, if it's a whole page. You can overdo the emoji. And you, it loses any kind of meaning. You get, <laughs> I think in one post, you get two emoji. Two emoji in a sure. post. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. You go over that, man. And 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 all you know what? Three if it's the same emoji. Like mm. I can hit you with three skulls. Okay. You yeah. see? Of the same. It's cause it's more of the same thing. It's you're just it's just a multiplier effect. But four is too much. Three is max. Three is max skull. Mm. Two two is interesting. One is powerful. Still, on its own. Think about it. All right? Hit people with the skull emoji. See what happens in your life. Don't blame me for the outcome. Life will get more interesting, I'll tell you that, immediately. And don't go with these uh, top picks, ever. Nah, I'm, I'm guilty of all these picks as well. What can I say? All right, well, uh, there's a, a bit of a mishap in, in New York, New York City. Two teenagers were assaulted in massive crowds. You know what they were trying to do, Will? They were trying to get to the Adidas pop-up shop, which was selling 99-cent Arizona iced tea sneakers. You see that? You're a big... Oh, my God, you got it on the desk right now. Lift oh, it yeah. up, Will. Lift it up for the camera. I swear I did not plan that. I did not know that he had it. This is Mr. Arizona. He would have been lining up for 99-cent special edition Adidas Arizona oh, yeah. collab. You They're would have been lining up. Oh, yeah. So they had this, uh, this pop-up scheduled. Arizona fans were there, sneaker fans were there, Adidas fans were there, culture fans were there, crowd, people who just saw the crowd were probably there, and it got out of hand quickly, as you might imagine. If you could get Adidas sneakers for 99 cents, I mean, (laughs) that's kind of a deal, especially if it's a special version collab, which you could probably sell immediately afterwards, but nobody even got to see these 99 cent sneakers. For those of you that don't know, Arizona is an iced tea brand. They sell a giant can for 99 cents. It's like the claim to fame. And it's kind of a meme in and of itself. It's popular. Oh, there. That's an Arizona sneaker right down there. Scroll down, Will. Right there. Oh, so that's the the sneaker that nobody could get, I guess. So that's the the, uh, Arizona theme sneaker. Only 99 cents. I think they did a backpack. There's somebody in the post who has an Arizona themed backpack. Same thing with the 99 cent logo. It's a cool, it's a cool concept. It's a collab. It's a pop-up. It's got all the cultural pieces you would expect to create hype. In this case, a little too much hype as uh, two people were assaulted and one of them was bleeding. The teenage girl was bleeding and they had to shut down the whole thing. The New York Police Department shut down the event before the pop-up shop even opened. They were there on the scene at 9 a.m. The crowd was already too rowdy, fighting for positioning, doing what crowds do. And then after the assault took place, they shut it down. Adidas had to come come out and say, hey, this is uh, closed indefinitely. The event is not going to happen. There's some more Arizona-themed sneakers right there. Uh, we're not going to get them. I don't know. Maybe Adidas can send them to us in exchange for the shout-out they just got. Uh, what do you think, Will? Could you pull off an uh, Arizona sneaker? It's a bit too flamboyant. Uh, yeah. You can't pull a it off. It's too colorful for me. You can't pull it off. Kirk, maybe? Okay, Kirk's going to pull yeah, it off. So, Adidas, Kirk. if you want to send us... What is it, size 11 or 10? If you want to send us a size 10, 11 uh, Arizona sneaker, feel free. We'll showcase it to the world since the pop-up shop couldn't do it. Fans were too intense. The sneaker culture, it's wild, Will. It just keeps going. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cool off. It's some next thing. And people have turned, they turn into a game. They turn into the world into an amusement park full of attractions in the form of pop-up shops. And, you know, it works because people go there and they uh, converse with like-minded individuals. It's kind of like game launches. It's like Comic-Con. It's 
enthusiastic groups want to be around other enthusiastic individuals. And uh, it just maps this way. It's too bad it had to go violent in this case. Yeah. But also, I don't recommend lining up for anything, to be honest. There's pretty much nothing you should be lining up for, as far as I can tell. I, I understand it would have been cool to get 99-cent sneakers. It also would have been cool to take out the garbage and do your laundry. So how about so. that? Or clean your clean your bedroom. You know, that's cool so. too. So or I don't know, call your mom. You see how that goes well? Mm. A lot of people you forget about the simple stuff. Simple stuff's the good stuff. I promise you. Salt and pepper, easy seasoning. Coming from coming from me. You like that one, Will. You like that one. Easy seasoning. Oh, speaking of easy seasoning, before the next one, I got one more. But Willie do I come in today and the man, he got the two buns from TNT, all right? The fresh buns, man, wrapped, beautiful. He had one sweet bun and one salty bun. One was a pork bun, barbecue pork. The other one, he tried to explain to me. I've never heard of it before. Uh, it was a sweet type of bun with mochi in it. And what else was in it? Uh, a pineapple. 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 Yeah. So he eats the first bun as I'm sitting here, devours it. I say, man, that looked delicious. The other bun he's saving for later in the day, maybe even to take home because, you know, two buns, a lot of buns. Big bun I'm talking about. I look over two seconds later, he's into the barbecue bun. It's unbelievable. I don't know what to do with him. It's great. He just loves it That's so much. much. Yeah. And so shout out TNT. Willie Do's there every day. You want to go get an autograph, take a picture. You can meet oh, Willie Do TNT every day. Uh, he's there from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. At every TNT location. <laughs> TNT is the Asian supermarket, by the way, if you don't know. It's very popular in Canada, but you probably don't have it wherever you happen to be. They got the cool stuff from all over, even 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 other countries, not just from China. From You got stuff from, like, Malaysia. You got stuff from, like, Japan, obviously. Korea. Korea. All the stuff yeah. you want to find, all the un unusual cool stuff. And then they also make stuff in-house, like the buns that Willie Do is now famous for. Call him the bun man. Call him the bun king. Because I'm telling you, he was going to save that pork bun. And he did not save it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. He couldn't resist. There was a little down moment. Like we weren't shooting yeah. something. And all of a sudden, that bun was gone. I was yeah. like, man, what happened to the bun? Anyway, the new segment, top of trending segment. Let me just make sure this is still number one on trending before I talk about it. A lot of people get mad if it moves around too much. There is stuff moving around there, but it is still the top. <laughs> The top of trending right now, Minecraft Hunger Games with James Charles. It's a PewDiePie post. It is so classic. It is so heartwarming, classic YouTube. It's unbelievable. It, like, it could be it could be 2014 right now, as far as I can tell. You get the two powerhouses of content. Of course, PewDiePie doesn't need an introduction, the biggest player in the game. And then, and then James Charles, the biggest player in a different game. He made the heavy headlines with the controversy recently, but also just doing his thing in general with the makeup tutorials. An odd pairing, but in a classic YouTube format, as I suggested, they came together, they played Minecraft, which is the other old-school YouTube meme territory as far as big view counts. And guess what happened? Fireworks happened in the view count department, as you would expect. 8.2 million views published yesterday. Just uh, destroying the internet. Do I know anything about Minecraft? No, absolutely not. Did I watch the entire video? No, absolutely not. But I do know that the internet was made for these types of situations, for these odd pairings, for this combination, for these types of remixes, where a makeup guru like James Charles, who, who had a, the biggest controversy in recent memory on YouTube, can match up with another controversial figure, as I mentioned, the biggest player in the game, PewDiePie, and they can play a simple game of Minecraft for about 8 million people. You see that, Will? So we got the AI, we got the neural link, and we still got these dudes playing Minecraft in the future. Yeah. How about that? And at the top of trending. So for those that say that trending is just about music videos, for those that say that trending is just about movie trailers, for those that say that trending is just about paid placement, here you have your evidence that it's a bit more complicated. Now, I'm not suggesting that trending isn't those things that I mentioned. It may have some elements of that. In fact, there was a really cool breakdown that someone did 
we were actually a part of it. Unbox Therapy Channel was a part of the breakdown of like the types of content that pop up on trending and the threshold for views in order to get there. And this may have just busted things because of that threshold for views, because even for PewDiePie, this is outside the realm of typical performance given the amount of time that this video has been live. And I think you can you can grant a lot of that uh, uh, to, to the involvement of James Charles. You can Because he's gonna bring his people. It's the classic YouTube collab love story as usual. Uh, paying dividends in this uh, situation of uh, Minecraft X, PewDiePie X, James Charles. Anyway, there you have it, Will. I got to cut it short. I am late to a million different things right now. Believe it or not, I can't even take a question today. It's been a beautiful time. What a time to be alive. Neural implants. Who knows what the future looks like? I don't. But you know what? I'm going to remain optimistic because I feel like it's healthier.